Tonight we're looking at Exodus chapters 11 and 12. And by the way, thank you, Philip, for leading us in worship. Last Wednesday we had a little snow and uh, Matt Rizzo had to take his dad down toward Evanston for heart surgery and his dad's up there in age. And the way COVID's happening in our world today, he basically took his dad to Evanston Hospital, dropped him off and left. And uh, he was released the very next day. I asked him yesterday how his dad was doing. He said, you wouldn't even know he had surgery. He's doing so well. So praise God for that. I would like to uh, just ask prayer for uh, three people. It's on my mind. Zach Adams, we've been praying for him. Pastor Sandy Adams' son. Zach is a pastor of a fellowship himself down in Georgia. And he is just... He's been on life support with COVID, the collapse, the lung issue, all that going on, organ issues going on. And, uh, you know, he's a young man in his, I would assume, in his right around 40s. And so he's in a pretty dire place. Uh, Pastor Bill Goodrich and Horizon Christian Fellowship down in Indianapolis had a stroke two weeks ago. Monday, and Pastor Mike McIntosh, the founder of the original Horizon Christian Fellowship, but out in San Diego. Mike's son, Philip, now pastoring that church. Mike retired, but he also having heart surgery a few weeks ago. And so we've seen a bit of this going on. And I just want to lift up these men in prayer, and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you for this night you've given us to gather together to worship you. And Lord, I'll just go through the list of these men for Joseph, Matt's dad. We praise you that his heart surgery went so well. And we know that Joseph is of greater age. And Lord, the risk is always high, no matter uh, what age you might be when having heart surgery. But even more so for someone at a greater age. And we thank you, Lord, that he is recovering so well. We pray for Zach Adams. His issue, Lord, currently not a heart thing, but with COVID, his lungs have been impacted. He's been on life support. Um, They're trying to pull him off. As of last week, they have not yet been able to do that. They did see a little hope. And we thank you, Lord, that his kidneys now are functioning on their own. And that was a good thing. We pray, Lord, for his complete recovery. Lift up Pastor Bill Goodrich down in Horizon Christian Fellowship in Indianapolis. And Lord, um, he has been ministering to the pastors of Calvary Chapel Movement in the Midwest for many years. And Lord, right now he's got a road of recovery on his own that he needs to go through. We pray for him, for his church, for his family, for his wife, Vi. And we ask, Lord, for Pastor Mike McIntosh, his love for the Midwest, even though he's from California, his wife is from Illinois. And so he has this love for the Midwest. He came out during COVID a couple of years ago and did a vision for the heartland, doing crusades in the Midwest and Lord, he wants to see, he believes, Pastor Mike, that if revival is going to come to our nation, it's going to come from the Midwest. And I pray, Lord, that he is correct. I pray that you would be with him as he continues to recover from his heart surgery. Give him strength that is beyond believability, Lord. He's a man that's been greatly used by you, and we pray, Lord, that you'd use him in many more ways. So be with us tonight, Lord, as we look into your word. May it be a blessing to us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Exodus chapters 11 and 12, we're coming to that final plague, the 10 plagues that God sent to Egypt in order that the Egyptians would force Israel out of their land and to take the very hard heart of Pharaoh that he would plea with Moses and Aaron to take their people out. That will happen in our study tonight. 
But chapter 11, it's only 10 verses long. We'll spend most of our time in chapter 12. And it's kind of setting us up for these things. We closed out last week with Pharaoh saying to Moses and Moses responding to him in chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you will surely die. And Moses said, you have well spoken. I will never see your face again. And then we have almost this parentheses in the first few verses of chapter 11. And we find that Moses is still talking to Pharaoh. So either they said this, you know, get away from me. You'll never see my face. You're going to die if you see me again. Moses saying, you've spoken well. I'll never see your face again. Either uh, they made up a little bit and they did get into each other's presence. One commentator feels that Moses never left at the end of chapter 9. And we need to remind ourselves, chapter 10 I should say, but we need to remind ourselves that the Bible wasn't written with chapter breaks or verse breaks. So it was a continuous account being laid out before us. But there is a little shift as we begin chapter 11 where the Lord speaks to Moses and said in verses 1 through 3, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and afterwards he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. And so the Lord bringing one final plague upon the nation of Egypt, and yet before the plague came, Israel was to ask of their Egyptian neighbors, verses 2 and 3. They were to ask for articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So God, again, confirms a promise that he had made to Moses before he ever came down to Egypt the second time. Remember, he was born and raised in Egypt from, you know, from birth to 40 years old, but then he was gone for 40 years. And before he returned, there on the mountain of God at Mount Horeb, there at the burning bush, the Lord had said to Moses before he ever returned to Egypt the second time, in Exodus 3:19 through 21, the Lord had said to him, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, that you shall not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder Egypt. And now that plundering begins to happen as the children of Israel went out and to request, not borrow, just asking, hey, you got some silver and gold you can loan me? They didn't say that. Do you have some silver and gold that you can give us? And we find that Moses now becoming great in the land, although Pharaoh couldn't stand Moses because of the trouble he was causing him. Both the Egyptians and the Israelites recognized Moses. He became great in their sight. And so Pharaoh's hold on the people of Israel and even on his own people was quickly crumbling. He found that he was coming to this place where even his own advisors said that Egypt would be no more if he did not let the children of Israel go. And this was before the 10th plague would take place. And so now Moses, speaking in the sight of Pharaoh, whether he left and they did see one another again, or he was still there and the Lord just gave Moses instruction that he gave to the children of Israel. But here in verses 4 through Eight, he's speaking in the presence of Pharaoh and telling him what the Lord is going to do. 
Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, and even to the firstborn of the female servants who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, which as was not like it before, nor shall it ever be again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Once again, Moses, in the sight of Pharaoh, he said, That you may know. Remember at the very beginning, when Moses came to Pharaoh and Moses said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. Moses responding, Who is the Lord and why should I obey his command? And so these ten plagues had come upon their nation that Egypt might know, but I would also say that Israel might know. Israel had been praying for God to deliver them, but they had not seen the mighty power of the God that they prayed to until he came and sent these plagues upon the nation of Israel. So God was preparing his own people through the mighty miracles that they would know that the Lord God of Israel was God who created the heavens and the earth. And so Moses and Aaron, they faithfully spoke God's word before all the people, before the Egyptians, before Pharaoh. And they told of God coming that night in the midst of Egypt, causing the death of all their firstborn. No one in the land of Egypt would be exempt from Pharaoh's firstborn son to the firstborn of his female servants, of their animals even. And the number of dead would be so great that there would be a great outcry heard throughout the land of Egypt that night. And yet God made distinction between Egypt and Israel, between the unbelievers and the believers. And he said in Israel, a dog wouldn't even wag his tongue, his tail we might say too, no firstborn in Israel would die. And we'll discover why they did not die when we get to chapter 12. So after that night, Pharaoh's servants would bow before Moses. They already thought him a great man. But after this night, they would know that the power of God was working through him. And they would beg him to get out of the land and all those who followed him, that they would leave their land. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:27, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Forty years earlier, the Bible tells us that Moses did fear the wrath of the Pharaoh. Remember, 40 years earlier, Moses knew that the Lord had called him to deliver the children of Israel and he attempted to deliver them by killing one Egyptian. After he killed the Egyptian, he buried him in the sand. The very next day, he saw two Israeli brothers fighting with one another, and he tried to stop them from fighting. And they said to Moses, who made you ruler and judge over us? And then he learned that Pharaoh knew that he had killed an Egyptian, and he ran for his life. But he's not running any longer. Now it's 40 years later. So what's the difference? How could he, as Hebrews 11:27 says, not fearing the wrath of the king? What made the difference? It was the relationship that God had with him in his life. Again, Hebrews 11:27 tells us, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was no longer concerned of Pharaoh because he had his eyes upon God. He was looking to the one that he could not physically see, but he knew personally as the God who had called him to this great ministry. Forty years later, Moses stood courageously before Pharaoh because he understood that he was walking in obedience to the call of God upon 
his life. And we could say that very same thing about his brother Aaron as well, because the Bible does speak about both these men here in verses 9 and 10, where it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So at the burning bush, God had told Moses that Pharaoh would not heed his voice. It was not. It shouldn't have been a surprise to Moses. The reason God did not allow Pharaoh to immediately let the people go, I mean, God could have done it. But he wanted to show himself strong in behalf of the nation of Israel and there in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart remained hardened so hard that it seemed that it would never change. But God can move those hardened hearts. As in Exodus 3, 19 and 20, when Moses there at the burning bush on the mountain of God, there at Mount Horeb, the Lord said to Moses, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. But there's even more than to this than just what happened, the exchange that happened between God and Moses on Mount Horeb there at the burning bush. Because over 400 years earlier, well, more than 400 years earlier, I should say, I was thinking of Abraham where God had promised that Israel would be in a land that was not their own for a period of 400 years that they would plunder. This was a promise that God made to Father Abraham about 600 years earlier. They had been in the land for 400 years now. All Israel knew, and think about this, all Israel knew was the bondage that they had been birthed into. It had long been gone the time when the Egyptians praised the Israeli savior, Joseph, who had saved their people from starvation during the great famine. Years had went by since that had happened. And for years, they had been slaves in the land of Egypt. And they lived among the Egyptians who worshiped death. Osiris was the chief god, one of the chief gods of Egypt, And the Egyptians recognized Osiris as Lord and Judge of the Dead, one of the most popular, and according to what I'm reading here, which is a list that I've been looking at as we've been going through the Exodus. The name of this list is the Egyptian gods, the complete list. I don't know if they'll find any more, but there's quite a few on this list. And this is what they had to say about it. The Egyptians recognized Osiris as the Lord and judge of the dead, one of the most popular and enduring gods of Egypt. His name meant powerful or mighty. But Osiris was no match for the Lord God of Israel who created the heavens and the earth. And God uses death upon a nation that worshiped death to set the children of Israel free. And likewise, we understand that God used death, the death of his own son there upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Lord Jesus' ascension into heaven, that we might be set free. We also learn that Moses went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And it's interesting, considering that Moses described himself like this in Numbers 12.3, Moses, if you were to describe yourself in just a, a sentence, how would you describe yourself if you wanted to be remembered, if it was going to be your epitaph on the gravestone? Romans 12.3, the King James Version. Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Moses, a very meek man, he said so of himself as he is the one who authored the book of Numbers. 
But here it doesn't seem that Moses is that meek as he went out in anger from the presence of Pharaoh. We need to understand that one can be angry without sin. Often we associate anger with sin, but one can be angry without sin. Yet unchecked anger can lead to sin. And too often we get angry and we give place to the devil because we don't deal with the situation. We give place to the devil and then it becomes sin to us. We are the ones, as Paul warns us in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And we often let the sun go down on our wrath. And we often give place to the devil. Therefore, we end up sinning in our anger. But we can't have a righteous anger. And especially when we stand upon the truths of God's word. And finally, God allowed Israel to plunder Egypt as a payment for 400 years of slavery to provide for them until they came into the promised land. This promise he gave to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, and 14. God speaking to Abram saying, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. They will serve them. They will afflict them 400 years, but also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God spoke that word to Abram some 600 years before Israel would ever exit Egypt and take this great plunder. So God provided for Israel with material wealth. I think God also provided Israel with physical strength all that heavy labor that they, the bondage that they served under made them strong, molded them into a strong nation. A people who then was led by a strong leader who trusted in God Almighty. So that brings us to chapter 12, the Lord's Passover. I titled this whole study, uh, The Lord's Passover, and we pull that title right from the verses of chapter 12, where we discover that God institutes before the death angel comes. And, you know, technically, uh, the Lord refers to the destroyer, not the death angel. I think I've become accustomed to saying it that way. But here in Exodus and also in Hebrews, it uses the word the destroyer. So I'm going to try to stick with that. It's always safe to stick with the word of God, and not add to or take away. But before that destroyer would come upon the land of Egypt, God instituted the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread for their people. And uh, he was going to teach them to commemorate this great night by the Passover lamb. And so we discover in chapter 12 that Moses and Aaron uh, give instructions concerning the Passover in verses 1 through 28. The 10th plague comes upon Egypt in verses 29 through 30. Israel's exodus takes place in verses 31 and 42, although we'll read more about the exodus as we continue on. And he reiterates a few of the Passover regulations, picks up a few more points in verses 43 through 51. So the Bible tells us verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. And if... The household is too small for the lamb. Let him and his neighbor next door. <laughs> I threw the door in there. Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to his number of persons, according to each man's need, that you may make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep 
or from the goats. And so here it is, the month of Nisan. And on the 10th day, they were to take a lamb, to set aside a lamb, a lamb for every household. If the household was too small, and how did you judge if a household was too small or not? Well, Lily and I, and uh, if we had our son and daughter and their families all together, we probably, I doubt if we could all consume a lamb. It would have to be a small lamb. And so you judged it by the size of the lamb. You know, how much lamb do you get? About eight ounces of lamb meat for each person. Maybe a good judge on that. Some of the guys may be wanting 16 ounces. But the idea, they were to consume the whole animal in one night and not leave anything remaining in the morning. And so that judged it, a lamb for every household or households as they might combine together, the smaller households. But also the lamb was to be a male. He was to be without blemish. He was to be of the first year. And they could take this lamb from either the lamb or a goat, and this animal coming from either a lamb or a goat. So the 10th of Nisan, the beginning of months for them, this was their religious calendar, the beginning of the religious calendar with the feast of Passover. They would set aside the lamb on the 10th day and then sacrifice or kill the lamb on the 14th day. And then following the feast of Passover, they would be the feast of unleavened bread from Nisan 15th through the 21st. And then following that on the 21st, the feast of first fruits. And so this would become a a big month of celebration for Israel with three feast days in one month. And we think it's something to have Christmas in one month. But they had the feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits, where they just combined all of this worship of the Lord God into eight days of worship. Now, because, and this has been a question, it, it rolls around, maybe in March people start asking in April for sure, because Easter's in April this year. Why does the date for Easter always fluctuate? It's because we are following the Jewish calendar. We're following the instructions that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. And they follow a lunar calendar. And so a cycle of 30 days, they don't have 31. In fact, they don't have a leap year. They have leap month. And so sometimes you'll see in the Jewish calendar Nisan 1 and Nisan 2. And so they make up for the years and days and months kind of getting a little bit off track like we do with leap year. They do it by just adding uh, extra month every once in a while and in the month of Nisan. Some believe that the taking of the lamb on the 10th and the killing of the lamb on the 14th speaks of Jesus's three plus years of ministry. Some would say that Jesus didn't minister for three years, but closer to four years. I would say that it was between three and four years by just looking at the Gospels. But when John the Baptist introduced Jesus, our memory verse for this month, John 1:29, behold, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. Three years later, Jesus came in his triumphal entry and the people cried out singing in Matthew 23:39, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is the Lamb of God who is without spot and without blemish. And so Jesus, they took a lamb that was a year old, Jesus, I would say, in the prime of his life, without spot, without blemish, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, the Bible tells us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers. So you don't become redeemed by purchasing your salvation, 
by keeping the traditions of your fathers, your forefathers. Well, I'm a Christian. My mom and dad were Christians and my grandparents were Christians. So I guess I'm a Christian too. You're not redeemed by those things. We are redeemed when we receive by faith Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are redeemed, 1 Peter 1, 19, by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot or blemish. Verses 6 through 10, Now you shall keep it, the lamb, keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and on the lintel of their houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it at all with water, but roast it in fire, its head, its legs, its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains in the morning you shall burn with fire. So, unlike Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, no leftovers on this one. You couldn't have a nice lamb sandwich the next day. It was forbidden. The children of Israel noticed this, though. What did God say? Every household take a lamb. But when he talks about killing the Passover lamb, it was no longer many lambs, it's one lamb. He says the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, verse 6, shall kill it at twilight. And then they should take its blood and paint it on the lintel and doorpost of their homes. Not a bone was to be broken. Not any of it was to remain until morning. That which was remained was to be burned up. They were not even to carry any of its flesh outside the house, as it says later on in Exodus 12:46, nor to break one of its bones. And each household taking a lamb, there were many lambs killed on that night, and yet God commanded when the lambs were killed, he spoke of it in a singular tense. He said, and you shall kill it. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, 2, that he himself is our propitiation, not for ours only, but for the whole world. Propitiation in the Greek, it refers to our covering. He is our covering, not for us only, but for the whole world. The lamb's blood became the covering for the households of Israel. They were to take it, and it's kind of weird to us, to take some hyssop, use the hyssop as a paintbrush, dip it into the lamb's blood, cover it on the doorposts on both sides and on the lintel of the house. Some have related that to the cross itself. I can't quite get that far with it. But the blood is significant. The blood is significant. It's because we must, just as they had to apply the blood on the two doorposts and the lintel of their house, we have to apply the blood of Jesus Christ by faith to the entry point of our lives, our very hearts. First John 1 John 1.7 says, And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The lamb was to be roasted in fire, eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. When speaking about the Passover meal, one author stated this, the Passover lamb was to be undivided or whole so that neither the head nor the thighs were cut off and not a bone was broken as the roasting no doubt took place on a spit by boiling the integrity of the animal would be destroyed. It was to be roasted in order that it might be placed upon the table undivided and essentially unchanged. And perhaps that roasting, the enduring of the fire, reminds us of the cross and the suffering that Jesus received there on Calvary, as Luke 23:33 tells us, when they had come to that place called Calvary, there they crucified him. As we go through the accounts of Jesus' death, we learn that not a bone of his was broken in fulfillment of what Scripture says here in this passage. The unleavened bread speaks about the sinless life of Jesus Christ, that he was without sin. When we 
Think of the bitter herbs. It reminds us of the bitterness, yes, of Israel there in the land of Egypt, but also for Christ, the bitterness of his suffering there upon the cross. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And Paul would later write for us as believers saying in 1 Corinthians 5.7, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be made a new lump since truly you are unleavened for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. We're going to come back to this leaven in a moment as he will go on to describe the Passover meal in a little more detail. So I'm going to come back to the leaven. But there is a relationship of this Passover lamb. You shall kill it, singular, apply its blood, and the Lord would then cause the destroyer to pass over the house. And we're going to see one of the great Passover verses in the Gospel of John here in a moment. But let's keep reading verses 11 through 14. And the word tells us, And thus you shall eat it with your belt on your feet, your sandals, ah, your belt on your waist. I don't know why you'd have your belt on your feet. You'd all trip up there. We've got to go in haste. I was just thinking of this image. And, uh, you know, our big celebration meals like Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe a 4th of July, we're usually not dressed up ready to leave. Like you just got here, take your coat off. Relax, enjoy the meal. And it's like, oh, you came, put your coat on, get your sandals on, let's get ready to go. It's time to eat. And thus, I'll try reading it again, verse 11. Thus, you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Remember, we've been uh, talking about this as we've gone through the ten plagues and all these, the complete list of all the Egyptian gods, they worshipped everything. And God's judgment came against the gods of Egypt, on all the gods of Egypt. Now the blood, verse 13, shall be assigned to you. For on your house where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague will not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day it shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So God here not only gives them the feast of Passover, he instructs them how to eat this meal, ready to go, belt on, sandals on, staff in your hand, got your jacket on, ready to go to eat quickly. You're going to be leaving soon. But also to keep it, to teach it to your children. I've mentioned these feast days, uh, two from Scripture that we keep as Christians, that of celebrating Easter, our Lord's sacrifice, that of celebrating Christmas, our Lord's birth. And we do both of these in remembrance. And you never know. Uh, this year at Christmas Eve service, my sister and some of her family, my sister wasn't there because she was sick, but her kids still showed up. When Papa John makes pizza, people come. And uh, I was making pizza that night and out of habit, I guess I'd never done it before. We were standing in our kitchen and the pizzas were starting. There was a lot of people there, so I made a lot of pizzas. And so you had to get them as they were coming out of the oven. But before we started eating, I just grabbed hands and got ready for praying. And we prayed and then I think my niece or nephew, one of them said, we've never done that before. What's that? Hold hands when we pray. They've been coming to our house for a long time. I guess I've never done that before. It's 
I said, well, it's kind of habit for us when we eat a meal, and we've done that, Lily and I. I don't know when we started. I'm sure when we had our babies, somewhere in there, and maybe even before, we started holding hands and praying. We do it at restaurants. Kevin, I, and our grandsons were at, uh, last year, last summer, we were at Little Country Buffet. The girls were out doing something. So I took the boys out for dinner and uh, prior to the meal, got the hands all held up, all guys, and the waitress came up afterwards and said, that's what's going to save this country. Not all this other garbage that's going on right now in the middle of everything that was going on last year. And we just do that. These are things that we can pass on to our kids. We can teach our kids, uh, talk about Christmas Talk about Easter. And here in the United States, Thanksgiving is a time that we can celebrate, which is uh, not a technically a biblical holiday, but it's one that's based on giving thanks to the God of the Bible. And so we can pass these things on to our children. They were to teach these. And from this time until now, faithful Jews continue to celebrate the Passover in their homes and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These things are not forgotten to this day. But it was only those who had the blood painted on their house. God said every household in Israel, none of their people would die. So it tells me that everyone in Israel listened and obeyed. They painted the blood on, uh, did just as God said. The warning went forth. I mean, even the Egyptians and the Israelis, they had seen if you want to count Moses' rod turning in the snake, they've already seen 10 things happen. And this was going to be an 11th, 10 plagues, technically. And I think by now you might say, yeah, let's, let's do what God says. Anyone who painted the blood on their house. And the Bible tells us later that when they went out, a mixed multitude went with them. So I have to believe that there were some who painted the blood even though they were not Israeli. And they would end up causing Israel some troubles. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.7 that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And from that time forward, Israel would keep the Passover as a memorial of God's passing over and delivering their people. And in a similar way today, we keep communion to commemorate Jesus' work upon the cross. As Paul wrote for us in 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25. And then he gave thanks and he broke it, the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of my new covenant. In my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we commemorate the work of Jesus Christ there upon the cross by keeping the Lord's Supper, the communion meal that we have here at the church. And then the unleavened bread. And we're going to talk about leaven here. As I said, we come back to that verses 15 through 20. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off. When the Bible talks about someone being cut off, especially here in the Old Testament, it usually meant cut off, death. It's a nice way of saying it, but they should be cut off. So they would clean the leaven out of their houses. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. So like the Sabbath day, no manner of work should be done on them that everyone must eat that which is only prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on that same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. 
In the first day of the month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat the unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month that evening. Seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. And so the first and the seventh day, those feasts of unleavened bread, during that time, there was that day of Sabbath. It would be just like it was a Sabbath day to them. They were not to do any manner of work on the first and the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. During the feast, their whole house would be swept clean of leaven. To this day in Israel, the Orthodox Jews sweep their houses clean. They even hire services to come in to make sure there's no leaven spilled in the house. And then ceremonially, the dad who does nothing takes a feather and wipes a counter and says the house, he declares the house clean of leaven. That's his job. It's clean. Somebody else does all the cleaning, but dad gets to say it's clean. Now leaven, it's used to make dough rise, as we know. It is an influence that affects gradual change. Symbolically in the Bible, it's seen as a type of evil or sin throughout the Bible. And with the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was to mark this feast, mark the departure of Israel from Egypt. And so they were to have this unleavened bread. And as we know, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Since truly you are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So this relates to the purity of Jesus Christ ultimately in the sinless life of Christ. And so they were to remember these things, to keep the destroyer from coming into their houses, to take the leaven out of their house. So the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is prophetically speaking of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus entered. And this is me personally. We know that he did come during Passover. Personally, I believe that he entered on the 10th of Nisan, the day that all Israel was to set aside a lamb. The Lamb of God came riding down the street of Jerusalem on a donkey with the people crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on the 14th of Nisan, Jesus was nailed to the cross where he died for our sins. When all Israel on that Passover feast, and it's when you put the Gospels together, it's a little tricky there, but it seems that they're trying to rush Jesus to the cross that they could get to their Passover meal. But I think within that 24-hour period, we find that the day that they were killing their Passover lambs was the day that Christ would be crucified. As it said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And the only way that we can keep the destroyer from coming upon our lives is by applying the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to the lintel and doorpost of our hearts. And so the destroyer, verses 21 through 23, it tells us, Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and strike you. So now Moses giving the instructions that God had given to him to the people of Israel. It reminds us of Paul when talking about the communion meal. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11:13, that which I have received from the Lord, I also give unto you. It is what we're supposed to do. 
The Lord teaches us we should share what the Lord teaches us with others. Moses explained everything about the Passover meal. From the selecting of the lamb to the slaughtering of it four days later, he taught them to take the hyssop, to use it as a paintbrush, to apply the blood on the lintel in the two doorposts of their homes. Once this was done, they were to remain inside the house until morning. And those who were faithful to follow the commands of the Lord would discover that God's promise that the destroyer did not come into their house, but rather passed over their home. The New Testament Passover verse, one of them, found in John 5:24, it tells us, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. New Testament Passover verse, Jesus saying, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me will not come into judgment. The destroyer will not come upon you because you have passed from death into life. 24 through 28, so you shall observe these things as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep his service. And it will be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are you setting the lamb apart? Why, dad, did you bring the lamb into the house, let us play with the lamb for four days, and now you're killing the lamb? That would be hard on kids, right? What do you mean by this service? That you will say, verse 27, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They've been repeating. First, God told Moses what he was about to do. He told him how to take the lamb. Moses then told the children of Israel what they should do, how they should conduct themselves. And now they're at that place where everyone is obedient. So they did, just as the Lord commanded them. Every Passover lamb was killed that night and until the time of Christ. Every Passover lamb killed until the time of Christ. Look forward to the day when the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was nailed to the cross. We're there on the cross, according to John 19:13. Not a bone of his was broken. And where his body was taken down that very night and laid in a tomb. Understanding the sacrifice of Jesus makes our commemoration of his sacrifice, the communion meal, the uh, Easter celebrations that we celebrate, becoming an important part of our own faith. It's where a child at communion on a Sunday morning, and they see the bread and the cup, and they might ask their parents, why are we eating in church? You said I couldn't bring crackers in church, and suddenly everybody's having a cracker and drinking some juice. This is like Sunday school downstairs, but we're doing it upstairs now. Why is that? You get to teach your children why we do that on Easter You get to teach them about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pass it on to others that they too might believe. So that night, a great cry went out in Egypt, verses 29 through 36. Got some reading to do here. Picking up in verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. 
Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land with haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians article of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. They couldn't wait for Israel to get out of their land at this point. As in the nation of Egypt, remember, a society that worshipped death, when death struck every household, as the Bible tells us, they couldn't wait to get Israel out of their land. And we also noticed that no more compromise. Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked about how Pharaoh had tried to get Moses to compromise. I even related it to the church today over the last couple of years with the COVID restrictions and mandates and how so many have compromised in their worship of the Lord. And many have. I can tell you this. I've still not seen everyone return that was worshiping at this church before the 15 days to slow the spread. I see them watching online sometimes, but they haven't walked in the church doors. And maybe they're going to a different church. Statistically, many people are just not going to church anymore. They have compromised so much so that they've compromised their worship with God. It is not how we should be. But the Egyptians encouraged Israel to leave quickly. Pharaoh now saying, Go, no more compromise. Take your animals, take your children. Just go, do what you've asked. And they went out so quickly, they didn't have time to add the yeast. And they went out with the blessing and the sense of the Egyptians receiving from them articles of silver, of gold, and clothing. They plundered Egypt just as the Lord had prophesied over 600 years earlier to Abram in Genesis 15. And Psalm 105:37 also speaks of this, saying, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Israel was a healthy bunch. They not only went out with wealth, they were healthy, they were strong, none feeble among his tribes. On that very same day, verses 37 through 42, the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. Sukkoth means booths. About 600,000 men on foot, besides children. And so that's where we get the count of some 2 million went out. If you have 600,000 men, women, wives to go with the men, children could easily number 2 million or more, especially the size families they had back in that day. So a mixed multitude, verse 38, went up with them also, the herds and flocks, a great deal of livestock, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. It came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout all their generations. I love that phrase in verse 41. On that very same day, the day that the Lord brought them in, and the very same day, 430 years later, God brought them out. This tells me that God's timing was perfect. And God's timing is always perfect. In Galatians 3, verses 16 through 18, the word of God tells us, Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. 
It does not say to seeds as many, but as of one and to your seed, who is the Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should not make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, then it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. But here, Paul mentioning the 430 years. And what is the promise? Well, for Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The same can be said of us today. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it is accounted to us that we are righteous. Verses 43 through 51, 43 through 51, we find a review of the Passover and he adds a few details about servants and strangers. So I'll just read out the last remaining verses. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry it outside, carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when strangers dwell with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on the very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. For the children of Israel, they had one law for all. Anyone who desired to keep the Passover meal, they had to come under the covenant of circumcision. And then they would become no longer a stranger, but part, he said, he shall be, verse 48, as a native of the land. Then they would be able to partake of this Passover celebration. The sufficiency of our Passover lamb, we're on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ paid the price of our sin once and for all. All we need to do is to apply that blood upon the lintel and doorposts of our hearts for truly Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Let's go ahead and stand together. For those who are going to pass from death into life to this day, according to the Word of God, we have to receive Christ as our Savior. Here on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation, where the A stands for admit, that we need to admit to God that we are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. In Romans 3.23, it tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 explains to us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. That's the applying of the blood of Christ upon the doorposts and lentils of our souls. We also need to believe, believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and I would add his ascension into heaven. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the C stands for confess, to confess our faith in Jesus Christ, to share that faith with others. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you have questions regarding faith tonight, you're here with us. 
please talk to me after the service. If you're listening through our social media accounts or you're listening on WLGS radio, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we continue our chronological journey through the Gospels. We're going to be looking at the wise men. And I think we might be, I'm going to attempt to finish out the whole birth of Christ this coming Sunday. But we're going to look at uh, the message that I entitled, The Wise Still Seek Him. So we hope that you can be with us. If not, of course, we have our social media uh, streaming and also live on WLGS. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, for your word. Exodus chapter 12, Lord, what an important chapter in the Bible, explaining so much detail regarding the Passover lamb, which, Lord Jesus, you came in fulfillment of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came According to the Passover lamb, you were a male in the prime of life without spot or blemish. And it's through the application of your blood that the destroyer passes over that we are saved. I pray, Lord, that we know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, as believers, we would teach these things to our children. And Lord, if you should tarry, that they in turn would teach them to their children. Just as faith has been passed on to us, help us to pass it on to others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.